0: you have You're not too many. You're not just said, back
1: I'm ready to play. Let me take your thoughts thought, thought away. Now let's hear what Darvina has to say. We would be honored if you would join us.
0: So we're going to start off right where we left off in chapter two, because I think there's some very important things that need to be discussed in this chapter. So let's go ahead on and get to it. In
1: your early years, the flow of the Force might seem frightening, shocking. Find balance between its light and dark facets, and the flow will become a powerful stillness. Struggle against the Force, and your body rebels. Fight with the Force, and you have the universe on your side. Temple Master Vordana, Stavkesh, 10,441 TYA, your arrival. Two years. Lannery thinks. It'll be at least that long before I see mother and father again. But such is the training of a young journeyer. Their time at Padawan Kesh over, teenagers now, she and her brother Dale are embarking on their great journey, and they have returned home to say goodbye. Close to the sea on the southern coast of Masera lies Bodhi Temple and its surrounding settlement, her home since birth. Her parents are Jedi, and they teach at the temple, instructing young Force-sensitives in the arts. Her mother specializes in music, prose and poetry. Her father is a talented sculptor and artist. They made their own journeys years before Dale and Lannery were born. Indeed, they enjoy telling the story of how they met as journeyers. And they were both drawn to Bodhi, the Force exposing and celebrating their particular talents and strengths. Now it is time for Dale and Lannery to journey across Tython to the other Jedi temples, there to learn the ways of the Force, science and combat meditation and healing, the raw talents Lannery has now will be honed and practiced throughout the coming two years. She is excited and nervous, and when her mother calls her close and asks that they walk across the grassland until they are alone, she almost knows what to expect. It is a fine, sunny day, and the sky is clear. Tythos blazes above, giving them heat and light. The Force binds her and her surroundings together, and she wears her Jedi training sword on her hip. Though nervous, she is at peace. Until her mother begins to speak. Look after your brother, lennery I'm only two years older than him, mother. True, but the Force is strong in you. You welcome it, and it nourishes you. Your father and I both sense your strength, and we also sense Dale's weakness. He and the Force. There's little love lost. He'll learn, mother. He has you and father to look up to. You're powerful, Jedi, and he'll be the same. You are destined to follow us, I believe," her mother says. She smiles at Lannery, but there is little joy here. But my worries for Dale are genuine and heartfelt. His interest in the distant past, our ancestors and history outside the system, places on Tython like the old city. I'm afraid his fate leads away from the Force. Away from Tython! Her voice hitches, and Lannery is startled to see tears in her mother's eyes glistening on her soft brown cheeks. "'I'll make sure that doesn't happen. I'll guide and help him, I promise. That's what we're traveling for, after all. You're traveling, to learn to control and expand your powers. If the Force isn't there to begin with... It is there,' Lannery says, interrupting her mother. I see it in his eyes. I think Dale just has trouble letting go. He wants to be his own master. And he will,' Lannery said. You know the teachings, mother.' the force is neither light nor dark master nor slave but a balance between extremes dale will find balance i hope so her mother says lannery frowns pouting slightly it's a little unfair she knows using the look that her mother can so rarely resist but it might be the last time she is leaving as a child and when she returns she will be a woman fine lannery her mother says smiling I'm sure he'll find the balance he needs. Lannery smiles and nods, and a little while later, she and Dale take the first symbolic steps away from their parents. They look back along the river several times, and their mother and father remain there, watching them go and waving them on their way.
0: Okay, a few things that I wanted to point out right quick is the first one is that these are two Jedi that are married and have two children. The Jedi that we are know and love from our time period are not allowed to have attachments. They're not allowed to get married and do things like that. And in this point, they were allowed to do that because they followed more of that gray code. And the gray code simplifies the attachments and things like that bring passion and passion brings serenity. So with that being possible, they're allowed to be married in this time period. Another thing is they have two children and what the big part of this is that the children are sent off to do a 40 day trial where they have to venture to the Jedi temple to start their training. Which I think is way different than what we have nowadays because the Jedi of our time period, they were brought to the Jedi Temple at a young age for training. And in this time period, they weren't they were sent off when they hit teenage years to go walk and, you know, do this, you know, 40 some day trial of getting to the Jedi Temple to be trained. So just a couple things that I wanted to point out right here. Um, let's go ahead and get back to the story.
1: Dale says nothing. Neither does Lannery. Lost in their private thoughts, hers are troubled. I'm sure he'll find the balance he needs, her mother said of Dale. Buried deep beneath her childish enthusiasm, in truth, Lannery is far from certain. And yet unsettled by whatever future her brother might face, she also leaves her parents and home behind with excitement burning in her heart. This is the start of a real adventure and one that every Jedi on Tython has to undergo at some point during their training. Balance in the Force is essential to become a great Jedi. And to achieve that, one must also gain balance in one's abilities and talents. Being adept at Force skills is nothing if you do not know how to use them. Having a great talent in channeling the Force through writing and art is fine. But if you cannot also protect yourself in combat, then you will never reach the heights of Jedi Master. Ashlaw and Bogan cast their light and dark shadows upon the surface of Tython, and true balance exists within, as well as without. Lannery can feel the Force thrumming through her sometimes, matching the beating of her heart, or perhaps vice versa. And she is looking forward to every day that follows. She and Dale often wander together, and they're very familiar with Bodhi, the nearby ocean, and the lands around it. But other than their time at Padawan Kesh, they have never gone beyond. The start of their journey will take them northwest across the large island continent of Masera to the other coast. A flight by cloud chaser 800 kilometers over the Thyrian Ocean will follow. And after their arrival on Thyre, they will journey across rocky plains and through extensive forests until they reach Qigong Kesh, the Temple of Force Skills. It lies beyond the forests, and three days' walk into the Silent Desert that mysterious place where sound is soaked up by some unknown quality in the constantly drifting sands. The winds are relentless there, and it's said that some of the sand sculptures that persist, sometimes for mere seconds, are sentient, part of a species that has existed on Tython for millions of years. No contact has ever been made with these sculptures. Indeed, there are those who believe they are simply another unusual quality of the silent desert. But Lannery is always ready to believe. Beneath the desert in deep caverns, They will undertake the first lessons in their journey of learning. They crest a gentle hilltop around midday and turn to look back down upon Bodhi Temple in the distance. The sea shimmers beyond it, constantly moving yet at peace. The Tho Yor at the temple's center reflects the bright sunlight, and the river snaking inland is a dancing rainbow of light. When we return, we'll be real Jedi, Lannery says. Aren't you excited, Dale? Isn't it just thrilling? Yeah, he says. He grasps her hand and squeezes, but never quite meets her gaze. Mother and father will be so proud. Dale shrugs. I suppose. Lannery knows of their parents' hopes, that their journey will imbue Dale with more of the Force, that he will come to know and love it, and that perhaps he is simply a late starter. It happens, they said. Sometimes it just takes time and experience. But Lannery also knows that a journeyer has to want it to happen. Come on, she says. Race you to that fallen tree. They run down the slope, and soon Bodhi is out of sight behind them. Neither of them comments on the fact. And for a while, as they race each other through long flute grasses, and listen to the gentle hum and hoot of the breeze around them, they are young children again. Lannery let the peacemaker's computer fly them out of Tython's atmosphere, and this gave her time to look down upon the planet that had once been her home. To reach escape velocity, they passed over Tython's largest continent, Tals, and even from this distance, she could see the vast wound in the land that was the rift. 600 kilometers east of the rift was Anil Kesh Temple, and it was here, on her great journey, that she had truly found her peace with the force for the first time. It was also here that her brother's doom had been sealed. But she wished she could look down upon Misera, home to Bodhi, the Temple of the Arts. There, her parents still lived and taught. They mourned the son they had believed dead, but who now seemed to have become an enemy of the Jedi, and a danger to everyone. Her parents now knew that he yet lived, of that she was certain. Master Zhang's comments about their understanding the circumstances made that obvious. But she would have liked to speak to them and tell them to continue mourning their son. Whatever the outcome of her mission, the Dalian Brock they had known and loved was no more. He had shunned his family, and let them continue for nine years believing he was dead. Not everyone is lucky enough to finish their great journey, her mother had said to her at Dalian's memorial ritual. It seemed now that luck had little to do with it. Little shack, Lannery said. She laughed bitterly. She'd used the term before to describe Dale, but only to herself, when he got his own way with their parents or infuriated her so much. The ship shuddered with its efforts to tear itself from Typhon's pull, and she wondered why leaving did not trouble her equally. She'd spent four years believing it was because she was a wanderer, a seeker of knowledge and enlightenment, and the farther she went, the more she knew. A large part of that was true. Her passion in the Force made it so. But she also suspected that in ranging beyond Typhon. She had left behind the lingering guilt that Dale's death had been her fault. Where could such feelings reside now? She withdrew the message pod from her pocket and slipped it into the ship's computer. The flat screen snowed, and then a picture faded in from the darkness. Master Dam Powell's face, though this time she seemed more tense than before. Lannery, I'll be brief. By the time you view this message, you will have stood before me and other Jedi masters and been given a mission. What I offer you now, privately the reason for which i'm sure you will understand is help your ship's computer now contains all we know of your errant brother and his intentions though as you will see that's precious little a rumor a warning a few words of worry from our rangers and spies out in the system on Kalamar, you should proceed to the city state of ruhol yon where you will meet a twi'lek called tree Sonna in susco's tavern he lives close by just ask the tavern's owner tree will tell you more He's not a Jedi. Indeed, many of his interests are on Shikokwa, and on any other occasion, you might seek to arrest him rather than take his advice. But he served me well several times before. Greed drives him, and I pay. She sighed, and looked for a moment incredibly sad. I hate to go behind the backs of the other Jedi Masters in this, because no one on the Council wanted a non-Jedi involved. But I justify doing so in the knowledge that it will help. You'll know more than most that some on the settled worlds don't trust the Jedi, even though perhaps they hold us in awe. Some actively dislike us. A few harbor hate, still nurtured and fresh following the Despot War 12 years ago. And I suspect it is these levels of society where your investigation will take you. Tree might help you pass this mistrust. He knows those levels. But be wary of him. Stay alert. He has his own interests at heart, and only that. He's as dangerous as... well... Dan Powell smiled. Almost as dangerous as you. She touched the corner of her mouth with one finger, a habit Lannery knew well. The master from Anil Kesh was thinking. I hope your studies go well. I hope you're still learning. I've never seen such potential in anyone. Go well, Lannery Brock. And may the Force go with you. The message ended and the screen faded to black. The computer ejected the message pod, but Lannery sat for a while in the cockpit, seat turned away from the windows and the amazing views beyond. Calamar it is then, she said. Over four years spent mostly alone, the habit of talking to herself, or ironhogs, which was almost the same, had grown. But I don't like the idea of a partner. She liked her own company. Sometimes she spoke to the second empty cockpit seat beside her, though it had never been occupied. She swiveled the pilot's seat and looked to the stars. There was already much to absorb and muse upon, and she had the time it would take to reach Calamar to do so. All these secrets being entrusted to her should have made her feel honored. But instead, she was unsettled. There was so much she still didn't know. After running through standard checks to ensure that her peacemaker was not being tracked or followed at a distance, being alone was more than habit, she turned to the flat screen once again. So let's see what all the masters wanted me to know she lifted a keyboard onto her lap, tapped in some commands, and started to view the information that had been loaded into the ship's computer. Lannery and Dale's parents told them that the ritual of visiting each temple would be best done under their own steam as much as possible. Not for them the ease of a speeder or the comfort of a shire, one of the most common beasts of burden on Typhon. Walking, their parents said, will bring them closer to Typhon, which itself is incredibly rich in the force. It will make them understand, experience, taste and smell their surroundings, instead of viewing them through a speeder's windshield or from the high back of a shire. And sometimes it means there will be dangers to confront. Dreadful dangers. Forty days and 2400 kilometers from home, on the strange continent of Thyre, they reach the expansive stark forests that lead eventually to the silent desert. The trees of these forests store water in pendulous, leathery sacks, useful to travelers and constantly refilled, as the skeletal branches suck what moisture they can from the air. It is here that their lives are threatened for the first time. Tythos shines down on them, the weather neither too hot nor too cold. The going through the forest is gentle, and they are following a shallow stream that meanders lazily toward the desert, some kilometers ahead. I'll harvest ground apples for dinner, Dale says. I'll catch a rumbat to cook. Lannery says. And then, a flight of hook-hawks swoops out of the high trees and attempts to hypnotize Dale and Lannery with their sweet song. Carnivores. These birds hunt in packs, singing their prey to a somnolent standstill, and then tearing into eyeballs and floats with their wickedly hooked beaks and sharp talons. They hover in a rough circle around the brother and sister, wings beating a gentle rhythm, voice glands whistling and humming in practiced harmony. Their eyes are dark and intelligent. Their claws shine. Lannery has heard about these creatures, but has never seen them before. She is terrified. Never has she faced such danger, and the knowledge that their lives are at risk strikes a heavy blow. And yet a thrill rushes through her as she thinks, this is what the great journey is all about. Quick, she says, down to the stream. What good will that do? Dale asks. She realizes that he is also afraid, and she feels a rush of protectiveness. The splashing of water can sometimes smother their song. Really? Don't you listen in any of our lessons? She grabs Dale's hand and tugs, but already his eyes have taken on a hazy sheen, the corners of his mouth lifting in a lazy smile. Dale! I'm fine. A single hook-hawk drifts down, slow and casual, still singing as it aims its claws for Dale's eyes. Lannery punches wildly, and in her panic she feels the force flailing within her. It is against everything she has learned, but she does not have time to berate herself. Her fist ruffles feathers, and she feels the cool kiss of the hawk's claws across her knuckles. It screeches in anger as it flaps back, and in that moment she manages to calm, focus, and flow with the force. When the bird swoops down once more and turns its beak toward her eyes, Lannery reaches out and force slaps it aside. This time her hand hardly touches the creature, barely a kiss of feathers across her fingertips but the impact is much greater. Bones crackle, and with a single weak cry, its body disappears into some undergrowth, leaving only a few feathers dancing on the air. Come on, she says, dragging Dale with her. The hookhawks are still singing, and their voices silence the rest of the forest. A cool cascade, a pleasing symphony, and though Lannery tries to close herself to their influence, she can feel a distance growing around her. She is dragging Dale along, and when he trips and falls, his hand is jerked from hers. She turns back, and her brother is lying on his back, smiling up at the stark forest's canopy. They will never reach the stream in time. The hookhawks are coming close. This is all on her. Lannery feels like screaming in fury and fear, but instead she finds serenity and balance. She draws her consciousness inward and crouches, breathing deeply. Perhaps the hookhawks see this as her succumbing to their charms. But they could not be more wrong. As the first of the birds swoop, Lannery stands and sends an air-splitting force punch their way. Two creatures are knocked from the sky with broken wings and ruptured innards, and a third is smashed into a tree trunk in an explosion of feathers. The surviving birds change their song to one of panic, and fly up through the canopy and away. Lannery smiles at Dale, who is still shaking with fear. His eyes are distant. But they were so, he says. Beautiful? A trick they'd find beauty in your flowing blood, an open flesh. Pleased that she has protected them, yet wary of pride, Lannery helps Dale stand. Your hand, he says. It is bleeding. He tends his sister's wound silently, dripping in medicines from his rucksack that will clean the talon cuts. Then he wraps her hand in a bandage. All the while, Lannery listens for a return of the hookhawks, and a small part of her wants them to come back. Her heart is beating fast, and she delights in her success. But the birds have finished hunting for the day. Dale leads the way through the diminishing forest, and as dusk starts to fall, they see the sparse desert landscape visible on the horizon. The edge of the forest leads down a gentle hillside, and the boundary between forest and desert is a gradual lessening of undergrowth, a greater spread of creeping sand. They pause for a while, filling their water canteens. And as they move out into the desert, they are cocooned within a deep encompassing silence. Lannery speaks her own name, and feels it only as a vibration in her chest and jaw. It is as if the desert does not wish to hear. She looks at Dale, and he is wide-eyed and afraid, and Lannery thinks, I have already saved him once. Pride swells once again. She tries to push it down, because pride is distracting. That first night, they camp on the cooling sands. They have eaten and are seated close to the campfire, blankets huddled around their shoulders, packs resting beside them, sleeping rolls already laid out. Yet neither of them wishes to sleep. This place is so strange that they relish each other's company as never before. Lannery fears the dreams such utter silence might bring. Reflecting on the fight with the hookhawks, she stares across the fire and sees movement in the shadows beyond. Tensing, nudging Dale, She realizes that he is also alert to the movement. Lannery stands. Dale crouches. Firelight flickers from something, and a nightmare slashes into their camp. Sea-like lizard, she thinks. Rare but deadly, these silicon-based creatures absorb energy from the sand itself, but have been known to supplement their diets with mammalian spinal fluid. The size of a human adult, they are viciously spiked beasts, six-limbed and capable of charging on their hind legs. Encounters with them are often fatal. For some, Seelix are much-prized hunting trophies. For the second time in half a day, they must face a terrible danger. Lannery is so shocked by its appearance that she freezes. Sparks scrape from its extremities as it lopes toward her. Its curved claws dig into the sand and splash up fleeting flames, and its mouth falls open to display crystalline teeth beyond counting. The complete silence of the attack is perhaps the most shocking aspect and Lannery opens her mouth in a soundless scream. The lizard leaps through the fire, scattering burning brands around it and throwing up a confusion of sparks. Force punch, push it back, shove it back, Lannery thinks, but her instincts are petrified by disbelief. That she will die so soon after beginning her journey, victim of such a beast. A flash lights up the night, and the scattered campfire seems to erupt with new life. The terrifying creature twists and squirms away, slicing shadows with its limbs and slipping through them to safety. One heartbeat it is there, the next gone, and Lannery turns a quick circle to try to see where the next attack will come from. Dale is holding his laser blaster, its muzzle is still warm. No, she wants to say, because she is meant to protect him. Her limbs quiver in fright, and as she starts to draw in her senses and balance herself within the Force, the darkness beyond Dale sparkles with a hundred dancing stars. Lannery opens her eyes wide as she tries to form a Force Punch, but her fear is still a barrier, seemingly muting the Force as this desert mutes sound. Dale crouches and spins, alerted by Lannery's reaction, and the night is lit by three blaster shots in quick succession. The Celic Lizard spins a full circle as it powers from the darkness. It hits the ground close enough for Lannery to kick. Dale's gunfire and the creature's fall are silent. Her brother is still aiming the weapon at the Lizard. He's shaking slightly, his eyes wide as if he can't quite believe what he's done. It is an old weapon, bequeathed him by his grandfather, and Lannery has always dismissed it as clumsy and unreliable compared to the Force. Now, though, it has saved them both. The Lizard's head hangs by a thread. Its blood is dust. She embraces Dale and tries to speak into his ear, thank you. Even as she does so, she is troubled and ashamed at her hesitation. Perhaps after the hookhawks, she was too confident in her abilities. Misplaced pride has no place in the heart of a true Jedi. They drag the leak lizard away from their camp and bury it to prevent interest from carrion creatures. The burial is silent, even the shush of sand between their fingers unheard. Before sand covers its face, the beast stares past them at the glorious night sky with violet eyes. Forty days out from home, not having even reached the first temple, and already their lives have twice been endangered. Lannery thinks of the long journey still ahead, the perils they will face, the distances they will travel on water, in the air, and largely on foot. For the first time since leaving their parents, she wishes for home. That night in her dreams, Lannery sees great shapes rising out of the desert. Sculptures in sand that live in a manner beyond her comprehension. Feeding on sound, and taking sustenance from every whispered word. Each expression of love or fear. In the morning, the desert around them has changed in profile. There are three humped mounds of sand close by, and she wonders what watched them sleep. They march hard for the next two days. In the afternoon of their third day in the desert, they see curved rock spires rising from the landscape far ahead, and know that they mark the location of Qigong Kesh. Lannery feels a rush of excitement, but she has also seen the hollows about this place. As the desert steals sound, so its dry, scorching atmosphere also muddles distance, the temple could still be another four days away. They walk on, traveling by day, camping by night, watchful for danger and barely sleeping. When they arrive at last, they are tired, hungry, disoriented. The silence has become a great weight crushing them down. Even communicating by sign language is an effort, and for the last two days, Lannery has felt so alone, even with her brother constantly by her side. But the sight of the giant rock spires, and the mysterious Tho Yor floating between them, brings a sense of anticipation. We're here at last, Lannery thinks. Kigong Kesh! The temple is below ground, in a network of natural caverns and tunnels. Beneath the desert, they will be able to speak, to hear once more. As they pass within the shadow of one of the massive rock spires, several Jedi guards emerge from a cavern in its vast base. They look Lannery and Dale up and down, smile, and hold out two canteens of cool, fresh water. Then they take the exhausted brother and sister down beneath the desert. Here in a huge cavern lies the majestic temple of Qigong Kesh, where the arcane, mysterious, and enlightening training in force skills will commence. It is here that Dalian Brock's fall will begin.
0: Okay, so that was chapter two of Donna the Jedi into the void. And there was a lot of information given in this chapter. We were able to tell a lot about the Jedi's of the past. Like the Jedi were able to get married and have kids. Something that we know is forbidden by the Jedi Order. It was eventually the fall of the Order because of Anakin and Padme's marriage and pregnancy. In Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, Yoda warns Anakin about attachment. He says attachment leads to jealousy and jealousy is the shadow of greed. Which we all know Anakin didn't listen and it was his downfall. But these Jedi were able to get married and have kids and make it work. But I'm guessing somewhere down the road this became a problem and that's why the rule was implemented. Another difference is that the Jedi of that time, they sent their children to be trained at different Jedi temples. By this time, they were teenagers. The teens were to go on this journey that took months or weeks, and it was dangerous. Kind of like a pre-training trial. If you make it, we'll train you. But if you recall, that was one of the problems in Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. Mace Windu says that Anakin is too old to start training. At this point, Anakin is about 9 years old. These kids are way older than that. Like I said, a lot of information in this chapter, plus it was very exciting, and there's more to come next. Next week, when I cover chapter three, so don't forget to tune in. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDame. Sound design by Theodore Thompson. Research by Tammy Turner. I am your host Kyle and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.